0: Well, good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna be there for a little while. Uh, This has been an unusually interesting week for us at the church. We have had multiple meetings with church planters. You know, that's one of the things that we're committed to in our city. And you might say, well, I look around this city and I see lots of churches. You do. You do. And you see more and more people moving here who aren't going to any of them. So we know that new things grow faster than old things and and we're committed to that and praying about some good things with that. and, And we just ask you to keep praying for that, you know, We've told you we're going to have a global impact celebration that is live and in person this year, God willing. We want to do that. We want to bring our partners back in, a couple of new partners hopefully to be able to talk to you about. It's also a, a, a little bit of a kind of a, a period for us today on a couple of things uh, relating to our media ministry. Today is Brad Bass's last day with us in his position. Now, you guys know that over the pandemic, the media team has had a lot on them, and a lot of the things that they have done have been adaptations to things. In fact, even if you're watching at home this morning, uh, the ability that you have to see that has been modified multiple times by these guys. And I wonder if you wouldn't just thank Brad today for his service to us. We appreciate you, Brad. Thank you. a standing ovation, buddy. I told Brad this morning, I'm really glad for his time with us and I'm really excited about his next season of life too, proud of everything that he's been able to do. Eric's still up there hiding somewhere and he's building a team around him and doing a good job. And uh, we won't fall apart next week, but uh, you'd be praying for that too. It's just you know another wrinkle in life for us and what we're going and be praying for Brad as he takes his next steps in following the Lord. You've got your Bibles open now to Ephesians 2. And I want to just recap for a second last week because I think it doesn't make sense for us to go into this week unless you kind of understand where we're going Last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about the wrath of God. And if you don't understand the wrath of God, it's absolutely impossible for you to understand the love of God because they are two sides of the same coin. It's an uncomfortable subject for us to talk about, but it's a real subject for us to understand and fully be aware of that God's love for us is demonstrated in the fact that he has averted his wrath. You know, when we talk about Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross in our place, the wrath of God being satisfied there, that brought us into relationship with Christ. Now I remind you again that Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, a group of believers, and we're reading this as believers this morning, and if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what we have to say is really important because it's gonna show you how you get there. If you wanna know how does a person become a Christ follower, well, he's outlining that for us And last week we talked about how the Lord was rich in mercy and his great love was demonstrated for us and his grace. And we're going to see kind of the full culmination of that. He's really going to amplify that idea for us in verses eight and nine this week as we look at Ephesians chapter two. Now next week we're going to spend the entire week looking at Ephesians chapter two and verse 10 and we're going to do something a little bit different. We're gonna spend our time in a team teaching kind of mode, so that'll bring a little bit of different flavor to what we're gonna do. So I want you to really kind of vector in with us and pay attention to what's going on here because this amplification starts to be really important. And I put it to you like this. If you don't understand the way in which we're saved, it's a little bit like being lost on a land navigation course. Any veterans in here this morning, military veterans, do we have any of those in here? A couple of veterans. A couple of years ago... Um, Todd, you'll you'll certainly know about this, but a couple of years ago, we had one of our college students, uh, this girl was in ROTC in one of uh, the, the universities here, and she went out west for a land navigation kind of proving course, maybe it was in Washington or something, and I was asking her, I was like, how was that? And she was like, well, they give you a compass and a map and basically say good luck in the dark, right? And she said, you know, what's really difficult is that if you miss it by just a little bit when you start, if you walk a mile and you're this far off when you start, you may not ever find the waypoint. When you get there, it's very difficult to find it. And that's important for us to understand when we talk about salvation. If we don't understand where we start from, we miss all kinds of things the longer that we really walk with Christ. It it, it leads to all kinds of, of kind of, Really false teachings and then things. This is very important for us to understand this. So let's look at how grace has saved us and why this is the starting point, the mode for us in our lives of our salvation. So Ephesians chapter two, and we'll read verse eight. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves; it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. When the apostle writes this, I think he's dealing with something in this church that's necessary for them to see. And it's really important for us to see. And you're just gonna have to forgive me because I, I wrestled with what, what exactly to call this issue. But I think where it really boils down to, if you kind of follow this train of thought, for all of us, we're fighting for control. That, that really is something in our lives that we're wrestling with. And it shows up in all different kinds of ways. If you understand it like this, like if you, I've had people tell me, like I don't like to fly because I'm not in control. I get that, right? You get on the plane, you never see the pilot anymore. He used to stand there and wave at you, give you some wings, those kind of things. You don't ever see him anymore. And your only interaction with this guy is he mumbles to you. <laughs> I mean, that, I'm supposed to trust this guy, right? <laughs> you know, he's mumbling to me. Right? It makes it hard. I'm, I'm not controlling. I've had a friend tell me one time, that she cannot stand for her car to be parked on a bridge. Why? Well, the bridge might collapse. Control issue, right? I mean, and if you think about it, we all have—I mean, we all have issues like this in our lives that we deal with, and it shows up a lot in salvation. I, I want to control this. I—I I, I want to come to the Lord with my deal. I, I have this thing that I did, and I, I do this, and He does that, and then we're all good. And the scripture just refutes that over and over and over again and says, we absolutely don't have any control. God's the one who sets everything up in this world. He creates the world. He speaks the world into existence. And then he brings Jesus to us at the right time to die for the ungodly. His plan, not our plan. And God does this in such a way as to make us really see that at the heart of the matter for us, we're receiving grace which is unmerited and undeserved. God didn't look at you and say, uh, can, can we see your resume, please? And you say, yes. And he looks, this is good. We, let's bring them in. It, it doesn't work that way. It's unmerited. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's totally undeserved. And that's what makes God so rich in mercy and love towards us, is that he moves towards us before we could ever move towards him. And he sent Christ to die on the cross in our Place. Now, a lot of times we believe that we're in control, and this is manifest in the way that we have a relationship to sin as well. I'm just going to go over here and enjoy this for a minute. I can come back anytime I want to. I dabble in this, and it's not true. The Bible says we are slaves to sin before we meet Christ. So there's really not control there either. And so there's this kind of mistaken notion that we have that we control a lot. Let me just help us with something. You really don't control much about your life. You don't. I don't control much about mine. I like to think that I do because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel empowered to do things. But the truth of it is, circumstances outside of our control are constantly bombarding us. And as the apostle writes this, he's telling this church, again, it was by grace. Don't get sucked into this idea that it was something you did. It's by grace that you were saved. Now, I think there are three ways that this kind of shows up in mistaken thinking for us before we come to know Christ and even sometimes after we have met Christ and been saved. And I think I can illustrate it maybe with some some pictures for us, and we can look at this on the screen. Throw that first one up there, guys. This is what I call kind of the good-bad thing. And if you look up here, Patrick is having a bad day. They're not good. He's one to three, you know what I mean? So Patrick has done something that's good, but he's done three things that, that didn't please God. Nancy's doing a little bit better than Patrick. She's three and two. Jerry is kind of even. Maybe if he dies today, they'll just have to flip a coin when he gets to heaven because he's not doing so hot. Allison, oh man, she's having a great day. She's doing good. And a lot of times we believe that that's how God looks at us, and that determines whether or not we receive salvation. It's based on the chart. It's, it's, it's the good and bad idea. And so what I do is I constantly am evaluating, well, did I do a little more good today than I did bad? And if I have, then I'm good. And if I haven't, need to work on that, need to cut out some of the bad, need to get some more of the good. But that's nothing what the scripture says happens in salvation. It doesn't work that way. There's a second way that we often think about it and and it kind of shows up in the way of idea of just like, I just need to be a good person and treat people the right way. So we would say it like this, you know, have you ever met Jesus? Well, you know, I'm not really into the God thing, but I, I just try to be a good person and treat people the right way. And that's important. And here's the thing that is important. You don't need to be ugly to people. You don't need to be hateful to people. You need to be kind, compassionate to people. That's absolutely important. But it's really easy to miss something here. And Jesus kind of outlined that when he was talking to some people about how you sum up all of the requirements that God has given us. And he does it in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Let me read this for us. He said to him, This is Jesus, you sum up all of the law like this love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he said, this, this is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So a lot of times we get the second part right. I, I do, I wanna love the Lord. This is important for me to love the, I mean, to love my neighbor. I need to treat them the right way. But we miss the first thing, which allows us to do the second thing. And so what we do is we say, like, I'm, I'm gonna be kind to people. I wanna treat people the right way. And yet we miss that Jesus said, it, it starts with a relationship with the Lord. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. That starts, and then we're able to love people the way that we need to love them. And and if we confuse that with, I'm just trying to be a good person and love people the right way, we miss the most important thing that Jesus said. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And basically what that is, is me just trying to justify myself. I, I try to treat people the right way. Okay, still doesn't cut it. Because that's not grace, that's me doing something. A lot of times we try to do it a third way, which would be trying to just be religious, and we make up kind of our own checklist. Can, can we look at a check, checklist up here? Allison's had a checklist today. She came to church, good. She volunteered at the food bank, that's another star. She went on one mission trip in her lifetime, and once in her life she read through the entire Bible. That, I mean, that is impressive, isn't it? She's done some good things. You know, if you try to base it on being a religious person, though, there's a couple of things with that. You know, if you go around the world, you see people all over the world who are much more religiously devoted to whatever they're following than what we talk about. And and here's what I mean by that. If we're just comparing, would you say being a martyr for your faith is more impressive than some of the things that you've done religiously? I mean, that's somebody who's dedicated, but that's not the same as receiving the gospel through grace, is it? Now, a lot of times we know that we were saved in faith, I mean, or by grace through faith, but we forget that and we start living then like it's checklist mentality. Oh, well, you know, I'm doing these things and I win the approval of God. And and we miss something here. You're saved by grace, but you're kept in grace too. It, It doesn't change after you get saved. It doesn't stop you know, being about grace once you're saved. And so we're kind of constantly walking around talking about what we did and and make this little checklist up of our own. And here's a real danger. We start to compare our lives to other people. Can I tell you that's one of the real problems with what I would say we see sometimes in making Christian celebrities? When Christians become celebrities and you look at them and you're like, well... You know, he gave away everything that he had, burned his house to the ground, and moved overseas somewhere. I never measure up. Well, did God call you to do that? Is that what it is? See, that becomes checklist Christianity too. I'm looking around at other people. And, and I gotta just be honest with you. This third one really for me is, is kind of where my miss is a lot of times in the faith. It, it really is. It's a real struggle for me. If you ever go watch somebody play golf, They talk about what's your miss. If you know what your miss is, you can kind of adjust for it. Most people, when they start to play golf, hit a high ballooning shot that fades off to the right. They call it a slice. When the pros do it and they mean to do it, they call it a fade. You don't ever hit fades. You hit slices. Some people hit a snap hook off the tee and it goes, you know, a worm burner. That's their miss. I know what my miss is. My miss is that... I know I was saved by grace, but I want to go back to the checklist. Why? Because it's a way for me to try to prove myself to the Lord and, and earn God's favor. And earn, well, It doesn't work that way. It was by grace that we were saved, and it's grace that keeps us in our relationship to the Lord. And, and Jesus talked about this uh, when, when he talked about how it's not about being religious and God being you know, really satisfied with you when you're religious. Can we read this from Matthew chapter nine and verse 12? Jesus said, when he heard this, he said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what is he saying there? He's saying to people, like the reason that I hang out where I'm at it's because they're not religious. They're not puffed up with pride. They're not talking about how great they are and how God loves them all the time. I'm over here with people who recognize that they have a need. It's one of those things I think that shows up in life when you read the story of Jesus talking with the rich young, rich, rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? Keep the law. What does Jesus mean? The law. And he's like, did it, done it. Well, that was his first lie. I mean, you can't keep all of the law. You just can't do it. It's impossible for us to do that, right? I mean, we know that we fall short. We know that we sin. So Jesus traps him, doesn't he? He says, well, in that case, give away everything that you've ever earned to the poor and come and follow me. And it said he went away sad because he was very wealthy. He should have been sad that he was a sinner, but he missed it. I'm religious. I do all the right stuff. I come to church. I've read the Bible. I've given to missions, all those kinds. Of, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is by grace. Through faith. Now, when we talk about faith and we understand how that works in our lives, it's not just like a feeling that things are going to turn out good. That's not faith, is it? Faith isn't being hopeful. Faith isn't just being optimistic. That's not faith at all. Faith is us doing something that we saw back this summer we preached through Hebrews chapter 11 and we, we talked about this verse every day that we kind of did that, every sermon that we did that. It's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one gives us the biblical definition of faith. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And, and a lot of times we struggle to conceptualize what that means for us when it comes to salvation because we understand that God's grace comes to us and it's a gift that he gives us in salvation, but we don't really understand the way that faith works and operates, and, and I think that I could describe it like this for you. Faith is really where your head and your heart and your hands meet all at once. And, and here's what I mean by that. For you to be saved this morning, you have to intellectually know something. That, that's the head part. It absolutely has to happen. You have to know, first, that you're a sinner. Secondly, that God has created you to be in relationship with him, and that relationship is broken. That God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to die in your place. The scripture says that he lived a sinless life and went to the cross and took our sin, our shame, that the wrath of God was satisfied there, that Jesus didn't just go to sleep for a couple of days, that he died and that God raised him from the dead and that he sits at the right hand of the Father. You have to know that intellectually, but can we be honest? A lot of people know that and it never changes anything. They know it here. Oh, I've heard all that Jesus stuff. Yeah, I know that. My mom and my grandma, everybody told me that. I know that. It's not just enough for my head to know it. My heart has to do something too. It starts with head knowledge, but that knowledge has to affect my heart's affections. It has to move my heart. And what happens is is that I'm moved with godly sorrow to repentance. When I really realize where I'm standing before the Lord, it moves me to do something. It produces godly sorrow in my life because I'm not measured up to what God wants me to be because of sin, and so it moves me to repent, that I recognize where I'm at. I ask God for forgiveness in my life and change and turn and go a different direction. That's what repentance means, to be going this way and I repent. I go another way. Well, that starts with my head knowledge. It comes to my heart and my heart has to move, but really, then it becomes my hands. Now, here's the, this is so preacher, right? I, I should have said feet, but it doesn't make sense to say head, heart, and feet head, heart, and hands, okay? So really, it's, you could say it like we're walking, but it's, it's your hands doing what God's called you to do. It's obedience. Your hands, what God has called you to your feet, walking after the Lord, right? So my head has the knowledge. My heart is moved in affection towards God to do it God's way. And then I begin doing with my hands what God has said for me to do. A really good illustration of this would be for you to think about being married. You, you know, If you wanted to be married today, you had to meet your spouse. You had to have some knowledge about them. Now, now the thing of it is, how does that work? Well, maybe a friend introduced you on a blind date and you go out and you spend time together and you get to know that person and you begin to know things about that person. Maybe you met online and it started with, you know, just some messages back and forth and then maybe a few calls and then you agree to meet up and have lunch together, that kind of thing. You get to know that person but I mean, I know a lot of people I'm not married to. Truthfully, you do too. Something beyond that has to happen. My heart had to change its affections. Your heart has to have, have a response to that person. Now, now, the thing of it is, you're sitting by your spouse maybe this morning, and it's okay, you don't need to amen this. I don't wanna get you in trouble, but I doubt that that's the first time that your heart was moved to affection. Do you know what I mean by that? Did you ever date anyone else? You don't, don't, don't admit anything in church, but don't lie either. You know, probably in your life, you were younger and you thought, oh, this person's great. I really like them, but you didn't marry them. They were, they were nice. It was fun to date them. You know, it didn't work out. See, that's Head and heart, but it's missing something. When we do a marriage ceremony, one of the things we do is the pastor, you stand like this, and these two people stand facing each other, and they join hands. Symbolically, they take rings and, and put rings on each other's hands, and what does that symbolize? They're about to join hands and walk together for the rest of their lives. You see, that, that's faith. It, it's my head, my heart, and my hand meeting together and going, that my will, all of this, has to go somewhere, and I say that, that's very, very important for us to understand because that's God's work in our lives as well. God's work is grace in our lives, and then he says, it's through faith, and he says, and this is not from yourselves. You didn't do it, in other words. It wasn't that you figured out you needed God, it was that God was moving in your life, and all of a sudden, God's gift of grace, it just makes sense. It, it, it totally makes sense. And through faith, you determine that you're going to walk with the Lord, head, heart, and hands. But he says something that's really important that we shouldn't run past. It's not from yourselves, God's gift. And verse 9 says, not from works, so that no man can boast. Now, you've been studying the Bible with us for a while, and we've been talking about some repetitions that are going on here. And when you see something repeated in the scripture, it's a point of emphasis when it's right, when it's right beside each other, it's repeated so that you don't run past it, so that you don't miss it. So last week we learned that it was by grace we were saved and now he's amplifying that. And then right here, back to back verses, he's gonna say, and guess what? It's not you, it's a gift. It's not of works so that any person could boast. And what he's wanting to do is make sure that we understand that it was God's work in our lives and that keeps us from boasting about anything that we might have brought to the table. Now, this is very important because a lot of times this is where we start to stray. If you stray at the very beginning of salvation and kind of miss this, that God was the one who was doing the work of salvation, Christ did the work on the cross, the Holy Spirit convicted you of that, and then you responded to it, if you miss that, you'll kind of get off course like we talked about at the beginning and you'll be miles away from where you should have been. And he's saying here, it's really easy to get puffed up with pride, really easy to start boasting about what you're doing. And I wanna just remind us that has no place for us as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do that, if we say that we're saved by grace, but then we don't live that out and live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a really confusing thing, and let me show you kind of how I think this shows up in our lives. We say that we 're saved by grace, but then we expect the world to live not by grace, but to be holy before they 're saved by grace. Well, that doesn't work. That makes you judgmental. That makes you honestly, just hard to deal with. When you 're judgmental about how the world is living, when we know that they 're not living in righteousness, but you know you weren't either. Have you forgotten, it's easy to forget, and I don't do this every week to just dredge up the past, but I do remind you of this because you have a past. Have you forgotten that when God found you, not everything was going great in your life? Have you forgotten where God found you? I mean, some of us, God pulled us out of some deep, dark places, didn't he, when we were saved? I mean, it it really changed our lives. All of us have been changed if we've been saved, but I'm talking about sometimes God found us in some dark, dark stuff, and he saved us. But yet we, we forget that it was by his grace, it was his gift to us, and when we forget that, we become judgmental and harsh with people. We don't understand that outlook and we expect them to then be saintly before they know Christ. But it also can affect our outlook and make us puffed up with pride. And he's speaking against that. Next week, you're gonna see it again. He hammers it home again by saying, guess what, you are God's workmanship. Again, saved by grace, no boasting, God's doing it. He does it by making you his workmanship. And if boasting is to be excluded, then that means all kinds. This past week I was in Pastor Jack's office and I happened to look over on his bookshelf and I saw a book that is written by my favorite author. But I'd never seen this book. I don't know how I'd ever missed it. And I said, Jack, can I read that? Can I? And he said, yeah, go ahead, take it. And small book, great book, really enjoyed it. It was about three ordinary men called by God and it dealt with the life of Abraham and Moses And David, and I mean, just really, really good, interesting book. But you know, one of the takeaways that I took from that book was that God doesn't ever want us to associate ourselves with his success. What does that mean? Well, you know how it is. I tell you, God's doing some great things in our lives. Work's been going really good. God's been doing it. I mean, I figured it out. It was my idea that we did this. I, I and before too long, you know, here we are again boasting with that. And I think that's, a, that's one of those things that's really easy for us to do, that pride is always waiting for us. And you say, well, I'm, what, what do you mean? I'm not, I'm not a boastful person. Are you critical? That's pride in disguise. You know, if you're one of these people that is always critical of everything, you're trying to let people know that you know better than everybody else. I mean, it's, it's kind of a very soft sell on pride. You know, if your boss is just an idiot all the time and you know better, I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Is that you? Are you critical of other churches or other people and how they raise their children? Are you just, that critical spirit is pride, it's boasting. And he said that when God saved us, The reason that it's by grace and not of good works that we would do, it's not that the good outnumbers the bad or that we're religious or that we keep our checklists, is that excludes all forms of boasting. Now, are good works important? They certainly are. But we were saved to good works, not from good works. Do you know what I mean by that? We're saved to good works. When God saves us, It allows us to start doing those good works. It allows us to serve the Lord with gladness. It allows us to be on the team and be useful to what God is doing. But that comes after God saves us, not so that he will save us. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, I think there's just this this thing for us that we miss sometimes when we talk about grace. And it's really easy To be so far from where you started from that you're you're in your miss like a golfer's swing. What is yours? Are you truly living in God's grace today? Saved by grace? Stayed by grace? Or are you in performance mode? Listen, I want to please God. I do. I hope you do. But that to its extreme can get really difficult, can it? If I think that I'm the one who's trying to earn God's affection. No, God loved me while I was lost. Now that doesn't mean that that living in grace lets us just sin and do whatever we want to. Read the whole scripture, right? Don't just, not small parts. Should we sin so that grace may abound? May it never be, Romans tells us. Well, Why is that? Well, because holiness is important, but we can't do that outside of God's grace in our lives. And I would just encourage us as believers this morning, if you're struggling to live in God's grace, it may be time to take a step back and just take a breath and be reminded of how God saved you by his grace. He's keeping you by his grace. You will continue to do that. And if you're not saved this morning, Well, I didn't mean to give you the gospel, I guess, because I'm speaking to believers, but man, I gave you the gospel. What do you need to know? There's a God who has loved you with an everlasting love. He's loved you in spite of yourself. He loves you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And because of who he is, He was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord of the world, Lord of all. Sent him to earth to die in your place. And the scripture says that Jesus went to the cross and he bore our sins, our shame, dying in our place, crucified on that cross, was buried and rose again on the third day by God's power. And the scripture says that all who place their faith in him for salvation will Receive salvation, they'll be saved. And I would ask you today, if you've never been saved, never received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiveness, could you set aside all of those things that we talked about before, that you have to please God by being better than you were yesterday or that you meet a checklist or that you do? No, he's loved you with an everlasting love in his grace. Would you receive salvation today? I mean, why not? What would keep you from being saved today? What would keep you on the fence about that? What would keep you held back from that? I'm gonna encourage you in just a moment. We're going to sing a song about grace and everyone will stand up and it's gonna feel really strange, but I'm gonna ask you to do it anyway. If you're ready to receive salvation today, I'm gonna ask you to step out of where you're standing and come and take me by the hand and tell not only this church, but the Lord and the world, you're ready to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you believe in faith that Jesus is the Savior and that you're ready to be saved. You say, why do I have to to walk out? What is that about? Well, the Bible says that there are no secret Christians. That for us, if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father in heaven. But if we deny him before men, Jesus will deny us. I encourage you today, be saved. But for us, Those who are in Christ, I encourage us this morning to thank Him for His grace and live in that grace today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Father, our prayer today is that you would save someone. Father, I've explained the gospel with the best of my abilities. But, well, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work now. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, maybe you'd pray a prayer like this. This prayer won't save you, it's by grace, through faith. But maybe you'd repeat after me, just where you're sitting Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have failed to keep the Father's commands. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord, and to save me. I believe you're the Savior of the risen world. I believe you died in my place. I believe you were buried and rose again give you my life. Save me today. Father, we pray today for salvation. We pray for your grace to be extended once again. And for this church, Lord, we pray for your grace to be evident in our lives. That it would shine through and that we would, Lord, live in your grace, rest in your grace. We're grateful for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.